Good day, everyone. Looks like people are still streaming in. That's really one of the beauties of Zoom is to be able to see. It's like standing at the door and watching everyone walk in and bow to them. And I apologize. I know so many of you bow as you uh, come on and your image appears. And I'm not bowing back. Otherwise, I would be, I would be bowing constantly. <laughs> I hold your and receive your bows warmly. <clears throat> Let's begin our, our sitting for a few minutes.
if you um, in a screen share or something that I uh, would invite you to use your voice to chant along with me. You see this encouragement for practice aspiration. Let, let's say this together. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. May the merit and virtue of this group, along with our everyday practices, extend to all beings everywhere. May all be relieved of suffering, free from fear, longing, aversion, and ignorance. And may the way of awakening go on endlessly. As you, many of you know, that's a variation of um, more traditional dedication that we use. Um, but I thought it was um, a useful thing maybe to prompt the beginning of our time together. Uh, for, for several reasons, and I think you might, you might uh, see it and hear it and feel it as we as we reflect a little bit together, may all awakened beings extend with true compassion. Their luminous mirror wisdom is a very beautiful poetic line, a calling forward of something. And um, <clears throat> as I see the image of, of Peg, for example, sitting, and I know where she's sitting now since I've, but she's sitting right at the table in which I copied all the immense documents with, with her and with and Vicky and and in that embodied process, it's like invoking all awakened beings and positioning oneself with one's body in that that feel. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. It's so beautiful. May the merit and virtue of this group, this particular time right now. As long, and our everyday practices that we that we do extend to all beings everywhere. So it's that sense of um, the Bodhisattva vow. That this is for all beings. And then the wish that, uh, in some ways, like the Metta Sutta, may all be free from from the difficulties that that we meet in life, and may the way of awakening that we're practicing go on um, forever, not not end, which is part of what our dedication to our own practice and certainly the ceremonies that that Peg and I were involved in um, embody and express deeply. So since I wanted to do a tiny ref a little more reflection on um, this, uh, the way in which these ceremonies and what's uh, unfolded over the last couple of months is still moving, um, I thought that was a good way to, for us to to, to begin. The truth is, <clears throat> I don't know what's happened to me. And I said that last time a bit, it's a little bit too, too soon to understand all of that. But it's recall something that I've, I've mentioned before that I think is worth, worth repeating, you know, it doesn't matter how long we practice, or how deeply there is a, a primary question that we can't turn away from and that is never answered, at least in some final way. It, it moves along with us as we practice and it, it changes shape as we do also and it, it uh, informs us with a different meaning. And it has this certain kind of you know, loyalty and fidelity which energizes our practice and our commitment. So, what is this question that I'm referring to, uh, to which we always return, and the question that never leaves us? And here are the variants of the question. What is this? What am I doing? I mean, it's really fundamental. Why are we practicing? What's all this for? And I, when I stop all the things which practice is not, what remains? And this may sound ridiculous to say it this way, 
But if, if this question isn't arising, you're probably not paying attention. That as we arrive, it's like, now, w w what is this? Because we can get so involved in all the activities and the, the wonderful things that we do together, that it starts to appear that all of that is the reason. But, but I'll, I'm going to back up a little bit. <clears throat> having engaged these more formal and more and more powerful ceremonies, which bring this question even closer, like, what the heck is this? It's so big and so powerful and so esoteric in some places. Uh, and yet it has this profound uh, impact. Um, I can't really be sure about how I'm being reshaped or what's yet to be revealed. But what I do know, more than ever, is that I've been connecting with, uh, maybe you would call it an unseen world through my body. And that's the ceremonies and rituals invite and guide any of us into, into the vastness, into the boundlessness, which can't be made concrete or knowable. And it's ongoing. It's not a one-time event. And all of this has been a deep reminder that I never actually knew the answer to this fundamental question in the first place. It's not as if, oh, have Dharma transmission, then you'll know. You'll get the secret in those ceremonies at midnight, you'll, you know, or you'll be given the esoteric teachings that have been saved back for the, you know, all of these notions we have. Mainly it's a reminder that we never know what this life actually is. And the desire to cling to some finality of finally getting it, I think I said last week that we realize that life is not solvable. This is why we practice. And it's why we also, how many, so many of you have told me this over the last bit when I was going through these retreats with you, and you come to me and you said, this is, this is, I feel like I'm coming home. I don't feel like this is something new. I feel like I'm remembering something. You know this feeling? Even though it seems strange, it's like, oh, because it touches something deeper than your knowing or your experience. And it's one of the primary functions of practice. It isn't the fruit of practice. It's the function of practice to bring us back to this question the question that will open us into a life that is different than the life that we're living now. And that transformation is what all awakened beings are extending to us with our luminous mirror wisdom. And the, in the forward to uh, the book that I've referenced a couple of times lately, The Shamanic Bones of Zen, uh, Paula Arai, who wrote the forward, she's a, a wonderful uh, uh, academic, actually, but practices deeply in, in, in our tradition. Here are just a few words from her. She says, Zen practice and teachings galvanize boundless embodied activity. So I'm just slowing down because that's a lot right there. Zen practice and teachings galvanize boundless embodied activity and amplify transformative power. Ooh, that's that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? It galvanizes boundless embodied activity and amplifies transformative power. But then the important one, and most of its massive activity occurs below the surface. And most of what happens, you don't get to actually know and understand in the way that you understand how to get to the grocery store or how to do the laundry. She said, in accordance with the vow to liberate all beings, any barriers that stand in the way of compassion must be dismantled. And anything that serves compassion can be enlisted. So now we're talking about the fruit of practice. The function of practice is to dismantle our ideas about what we think it is. And the fruit of practice is to call forward compassion. 
and help us dissolve some of the barriers to compassion. And she makes a quite a powerful statement at the end. She said, as humans, we are organic, impermanent forms of congealed earth <laughs> who channel water, animate fire, and circulate air. And we are capable of embodying flowing wellsprings of love. And then the question, are you willing to experience love? And the willingness is also part of what this practice encourages and, and makes possible. So the function of unknowing is the flowering of kindness and compassion. It's why on my website, if you look, there's a little tagline on the top. It says, softening barriers to love. But I, I have to ask, do I really understand the consequences of love? And can I know it in some ordinary way? You know, what are the consequences? This morning, um, my sister Kathy and I were emailing together about a couple of things. And, um, and I began to apologize about not um, calling she and mom in this week as I've been back, as I've been so crazy. But, you know, I have a million excuses. So I said, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a terrible brother. I'm kind of joking in a certain way, but not exactly. And... And uh, anyway, she wrote back, it's not in front of me, but basically it said, you're a wonderful person. Stop talking about my brother that way. <laughs> like, oh, this punchy teaching about come back. And I could feel the consequences of love. In the nature of of our true self, who we really are, is exposed through Zen practice. If you want to know one of the reasons we're doing it is because we risk total exposure. Our, our true nature, true self, whatever you want to call it, isn't created by our practice, which is mostly what we hope. It's not attained, which is what we strive for. It's exposed. And exposed is a really good word because it suggests removal of a covering or a shield or or I think even better, being made naked. It's revealed for sure, but it's much more visceral. Something is exposed. And because so many of us live with shame and fear, we're terrified of exposure. So that's why compassion and kindness are so essential, the fruits of practice. And why unknowing is so terrifying. Because we might be exposed in these ways. And this true self bit, you know, this is not something that I could know in my program in PhD in clinical psychology, it's not that kind of knowing. <clears throat> We're being asked in practice to go against the grain of ordinary human activity and to plunge into the depths of what it means to be human. And then the question comes, what, what is wholesome surrender in this way? So the question, why are we practicing? What, what is this? This is a way to stop what we're doing and stop what we're becoming while we do it and stop practicing what we've always practiced to build up the barriers, even though they are an attempt to get love or maintain love. And to find out what, what our naked truth is underneath that and to be kind with each other as we, it's revealed and received and to be compassionate to each other as it's revealed and received. And I, I look back at our two most intimate founders, because when, when we're chanting the dedication, we talk about the founders in China and in India, and then the Suzuki Roshi and all that. But when we get down to, uh, to Blanche and Joko, those are our, most, our closest ancestors in some ways. For, for me and Peg. And the, I'm not going to go into this because these are entire Dharma talks by themselves or retreats, but each of them had a favorite koan. Each of them had a favorite ancestor story they would tell. The one Blanche would tell, which I've spoken about here before, is the one about not knowing is most intimate. 
where the young monk is getting ready to uh, go on a pilgrimage, which is a normal thing to do back in the old days in China to see other teachers. And his teacher came to him and said, where are you going? And he said, well, I'm going on a pilgrimage. I really resonated with this in this last month or two because I was going on pilgrimage to all of you. But then the teacher, being the teacher, said, well, what's the purpose of pilgrimage? So here's, here's my question. What, what are we doing? And kind of stopped in his tracks. The student said, I, I don't know. And the teacher says, not knowing is most intimate. Not knowing is nearest. Not knowing is most intimate. And this was Blanche's favorite koan that she would say over and over. And in the last few years of her life, by her own description, she taught almost only from one thing, which was the Metta Sutta, which is not actually a Zen Sutra. Only on loving kindness. This intimacy that's revealed by not knowing. I don't know what happened to me in all of this, but I feel the intimacy, which is revealing and exposing something. Of course, Joko's I say favorite, but at least signature koan is the ordinary mind is the way. If you look at the first collection of her talks, her first book, the very first talks are about this is what practice is not, this is what practice is, and here's the talk nobody wants to hear. You now she's very fierce about this understanding of what practice is really about because it's in response to this question. And in that koan, uh, Joshu asked his teacher, Nansen, what is the way? Like, well, how do I do this? What's the practice? And his teacher says, ordinary mind is the way. Then the natural next question, well, should I direct myself towards this or not? How, what do I do? And Nansen says to him, if you try to turn toward it, you go against it. If you use your ordinary way of trying to get stuff, you're gonna, you're gonna go in the ditch. And then Joshua says, well, if I don't do that, how do I know it's the way? And then the teachings, which I'm attempting to underline today, come forward. One of the translations that says, nonsense says, the way doesn't belong to knowing or not knowing. That's why earlier I said unknowing or non-knowing. The way doesn't belong to knowing or not knowing. Knowing is delusion. If you think you know, but you've made it small and concrete, then less than it actually is. Not knowing is a blank consciousness. When you've really reached the true way beyond all doubt, he says, you'll find it as vast and boundless as the great empty firmament. How can it be talked about? on a level of right or wrong. So there's an enormous amount of teachings there. When you've reached the true way beyond all doubt, so it doesn't have to do with, I've got it, I don't have it, right or wrong. Just plunging in. So these two koans, you know, we could study longer, but what I wanted to do is just echo our two founders are reminding us that not knowing is the most intimate way to meet what's happening to us, not to try to figure it out. And that's the ordinary way of unknowing, and that is the way. What I have come to understand maybe a little more, not understand is in grasp, but move through me, is that relinquishment, giving, offering, and generosity are the same thing in these ceremonies and in this process. Nothing has been given and nothing was taken away. You know, the entire universe is always right here in front of us. And paying attention by sitting zazen and stopping everything else we're doing allows everything to come to us and it reveals the grand miracle without our having to know or understand anything. Nothing has to be comprehended. It has to be met. And it turns out that giving up everything 
and receiving everything. Relinquishment and generosity turn out to be the same thing. And secondly, that groundlessness, emptiness, and fullness also turn out to be the same thing. When we let go, soften our grip on the self-centered dream, and we take down the barriers, soften the barriers to love, everything just comes flooding in. And as we relinquish what we think is necessary in our practice, what's essential is already intimate and already complete. So groundlessness and fullness are also the same. And thirdly, that impermanence and mutual causality or no self, whatever you want to call it, emptiness, are also the same thing. Everything is just a contingent flow, coming and going, being born and dying, but that's not even correct because those are names which indicate things that come before and after. There isn't a before or an after. There's just this unending, completely woven together movement of everything. Um, I don't want to go into the whole thing, but in the, all the retreats that I led, I used uh, Trudy Johnson's beautiful poem, The Yes and the No. And in the middle of it, there's a line where she says, can I embrace the impossibility of knowing as liberation? Can I embrace the impossibility of knowing as liberation? And this, I guess, is what I, I'm circling around more and more. The primary question, what, what, what is this? What are we doing? Why do you come in to inquiry on Tuesdays? or come back to a retreat, or practice on your own, or, or order every Zen book off of Amazon, or whatever you do. It's because we really, really want to get it. And those things are useful. They're good ways of filling time and supporting our practice. Uh, finally, relinquishing it all, which is what we embody when we sit in Zazen. We stop and take a posture in alignment with the Buddhas, with all awakened beings. And we extend luminous mirror wisdom and dedicate the merit of what we're doing with each breath in the service of releasing ourselves and all beings from suffering and carrying the awakened way forward in our bodies. So that's enough practice for a lifetime, probably. So please bring forward anything that you have that is surrounding that question about why are we practicing? What is this about? What are the barriers? What's released? What's, what comes forward? Please. Because without our meeting and without our connection, um, the way of awakening doesn't go forward, actually. It's only through this kind of meeting. So please raise your hand. Hello. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, I love that you got it down to a simple question about why do I come to practice and why do I practice? And the first thing that came into my mind is because I like peace. Um, and, and as far as revealing, it seems as though the more I practice, and it's not a quantitative thing because as soon as I start claiming something about practice, I start going into a mentality of trying to acquire something but the more I do it with a sense of just beingness is the more I get comfortable with the revealing of who I am. And the more I kind of let myself off the hook um, of old patterns mm -hmm. that I don't always see present. And I, I rely on people around me sometimes to help me 
hold a mirror up, um, whether they see me being anxious or we have discussions around why I'm not sleeping well or whatever the condition is, if you will, it's, 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 it's a disturbance. And um, I, I've been thinking lately about the idea of when I find out something about myself that may not be serving me as I'm learning better through practice to let it flow, see it, accept it, and not hook into it. Don't buy into the shempa, the, the hijacking. And so your talk was beautiful today. It helped me realize that um, without it being an attainment of something, I feel an attainment of peace within myself. Yeah, you're, just what you said in the beginning is so useful. Um, you said, because I like peace. And so how do you practice when there's not peace? Because we don't always get peace. And what, the, what happens when we uh, meet what we don't like? Yeah. And the practice of peace lets go of liking or disliking and peace and non-peace. Yeah. They go and, beyond and, that. But but it's a it's a great entryway because who doesn't want peace? Of course we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That uh, and it's a good entryway. And we're gonna have to relinquish that too. Not as in a giving up or a passive lying down, but giving up our idea of what we think think peace is yeah and what we think liking is it's going to take us into even more naked territory more intimacy yeah which is what you began to talk about then yeah but I, and, want to, I, I want to nudge you further because i know that's what you want yeah you well, i think your question is so so well addressed to me because what do i do when things aren't going well and i go, go straight to control <laughs> uh, right. and we want to explain we want to predict we want to control all those <laughs> yeah. things that we, we talk about and that's that's the direction we go instead of the not knowing yeah and, and when i get yeah when i get to the surrender of not knowing it's almost like it's like a, i wear myself out and then i get there Practice just makes it um, less complicated. Yeah. We have to come through with many machinations for over time. And that's why the essential practice of Zazen is so crucial because we enact not having to know anything, just offering ourselves fully to the practice, to yeah. not doing, to not solving, and yet full presence. Yeah. I had an interaction yesterday with my son-in-law. Um, he and my daughter are struggling in a relationship and any relationship we know, Sue and I always refer to them as having seasons um, and they're struggling. And I found myself after going through many mental gymnastics in my head for the last couple of days, I, I finally just looked at him and said, I love you. And there's nothing you can do about that. And I hope for you good things. And um, I asked him not to give up on goodness. And so that's all I get to do. Um, anyway, but a, but a precious gift to see you. I am so sad about missing you in Hawaii. Yeah, I'm glad you can't come too. But, yeah. but what you just said about your your, your son is it's like when my sister Kathy said, it's good. Yeah. Nice yourself. Love your just love yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Do my best to see. Uh, thanks. Okay. Okay. Um, a very rich reflection reflections this morning. Wait, it's noon. Whatever this is. Um, I was wanting to share and ask a question. The share is a more concrete kind of thing. I've been having lots of things that are not so concrete, but that are what I call synchronicity of all the interconnectedness of all of this. Um, and the concrete one that I, the question that came to my mind when you said, what is, what is this? What is the question that follows us? It's always there. The question that's been there the last couple of days from the morning sit 
has been the question that was posed to us a couple of times about what is the edge of your practice. Right. And the terminology it was in is still a little bit new to me, so I'm not quite sure what the edge is, but what came to me at that time in my sit was this uh, lovely black caregiver here. And I say black because it turns out that that was part of the issue. Um, and I've, what I said was that my edge was the fear and the duality, the separation, the not not boundlessness. I mean, I could have put it in more positive terms, um, but it was in negative terms at that point. The fear and the sense of separation that I had asking her today to help me change my sheets once a month, and um, then and and we didn't talk about it. Nobody replied and I'm glad they didn't. I just left to swallow in it, <laughs> swallow it and wallow in it. <laughs> and so then I went to PT and I had a, a lovely black woman, tall, just tall and slender like that first one with the same kind of Afro. And she and I just connected and connected and talked and laughed and, and I shared it with her. And she was so wonderful and we, we really kind of had a therapy right there. And I even went back to East Texas and my mother's slight fear of, you know, we were so completely segregated. Anyway, I don't need to go into all that, but a transformation occurred. Mm -hmm. And after I finished talking with that lovely black caregiver, I came out with the excitement of anticipating of the opportunity to be with this woman here and ask her to help me change my sheets. So you softened a barrier to love? It just, it just opened. And then I began to realize the edge is, well, of course, the unknowing was my favorite koan before, but, um, but the, it was transformed instead of fear and duality to help me, I want to, I want to feel the boundlessness and the love that casts out fear, you know, perfect love, according to the Christian scripture, perfect love casts out fear. And so for, to change from focusing on not having fear and separation to the positive, I mean, all this didn't happen intellectually. It came later that that's what had happened. But it just transformed in the moment after I finished talking with this one lovely caregiver at PT. Yeah. And there it was, excitement. Of, I got an opportunity to talk with Nicole. Nicolette. It revealed itself. That's what I meant about it. It reveals something. It did. But, okay, so that was the thing I just wanted to if share. If we drop our ideas, all of our ideas, all of our ideas, drop your ideas, then it's revealed excitement of you know of of the okay so the unknowing you're interpreting you know it the unknowing is most intimate has been my favorite coin for a long time but the most intimate from my neediness was from the self self dream what do you call it the self centered dream self centered dream was oh i'm so lonely and if i'm unknowing then i'll be able to feel some intimacy with something or someone or some reality yeah. or something, you know, some intimacy with the great reality or something. And then you interpreted it more about just simply the boundless love, the, the love your neighbor as yourself, just that simple old, simple old love for others, you know, instead of so much intimacy for me something for me and so i just am so grateful for that but then the question was trudy johnson's yes and no can i can i what did it say something about the Wait, impossibility and i think you said huh the impossibility of knowing and, and what i twisted that the impossibility of not knowing 
that's awesome. And of not doing that, you just spoke. Well, to she might voice. reflect on it because her hand is up next. Okay. You spoke. No, I'm not me. cutting you off. I'm just saying. She... It's okay. It's okay. I was through. I mean, because you, you said that to Mike. See, I heard from Mike about the, the undoing, the unknowing and the undoing. I'll, I'll reflect. So here's your, here's your koan to take with you. Yes. In my, in be, my... be suspect of anything you think you know. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Sure. Thank you. There you go. Wasn't I just there on that sofa? Yeah, you were. The cat's with me. I was thinking, Jasper's here. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> um, uh, there was two things. One was uh, the the rawness. Um, mm. and <laughs> so... This feels like a really exposing thing, but it's so powerfully what's moving in me at the moment is um, there is an Irish symbol called a shell and a gig, and it's a, a woman and she's got her legs wide open and she's pulling her genitals apart. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's somewhere or other that is connecting to Kuan Yin pouring out the river of mercy. Yes. So it's kind of like it's not this, it's like your whole body, your whole body pouring out the river of mercy. Um, and that and is Lokiteshvara's function. Yeah. But it's not in this nice little vase, <laughs> it's, it's pouring out between your legs. It's and everywhere. Out it's pouring out from from who you are your gender your sexuality it's that red thread thing mm -hmm. oh so it's like that's kind of um i've always loved the shell and a gig uh thing because she's so rude and so kind of not the virgin mary and not prissy you know she's just and unapologetic like, not unapologetic she's i am really, what i am I am what I am, and this is what pour life, life is what pours out of me. As the only portal to both receive and give life. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. You're amazing. And thank, you, <laughs> thank you for your words. Um, <clears throat> the, um, uh, I thought, um, I thought since you were here, if you wanted to read the whole poem, you could, because people could hear it. I could, or here's your other option. I could read the one I wrote just right at the end of your Dharma talk. Now? Oh, let's have the immediacy. Let's have this one. Immediacy is more important. Okay. okay. And you'll, you'll send it to me, of course, right? Yes, of course. And I'm really happy. Uh, I no, can no, no, go ahead. We can, I can post the other one. Okay, okay. It's uh, shaped by love. Shaped by love. Are we clay spinning on a wheel? Then where's the wheel? Whose hands are shaping this soft earth? Is the supple earth choosing itself? Are we wood with craftsmen's hands revealing through the grain and the sharp blows of a chisel the faces of hidden love? Are we river beds shaped by the tumbling waters meeting hardness and softness as we plunge towards the waiting sea? Life, life is hands and chisels and earth banks holding and revealing what cannot be known. Only relinquishing knowing allows our full shape to emerge. So beautiful, so beautiful. And, and I think that's that not knowing, having um, having had a long-term addiction to knowing, um, the deep pleasure of realizing I basically know fuck all, and that's really fine, <laughs> and the only way it can be. You know, it's on a, on a sort of a mundane level, but echoing the same thing is when we were preparing for my being with you and all the Sangha in the north of England, and we we set up the deepening practice days after the retreat. 
your statement was, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And part of that was a request for the forms. But you were requesting the container for us to be able to tolerate not knowing. Yeah. Not the completion of knowing. And that's what the forms are for. And that's where it gets confusing. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's a lot to tolerate. And that Shelena gig image is like, that's a lot to tolerate. That kind of, that sense of... You might turn away. Yeah. Okay, you know, I just, just cross my legs, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's something about that, that how do we tolerate the fact that life really wants to flow through us? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that's... That's part of the question of practice. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Yeah. It's to get out of the way of life to flow through us. And it's going to flow the way it's going to flow and not the way we want it to. And it's a, it is a big mess, sure. Yeah. But that statement that came up from my wonderful student in, in Minneapolis where she'd written it down, you know, we're, we're messy miracles, not perfectible creatures. Yeah. So. Thank you. Thank you. And we have Genève. Hi. Hello, Genève. Um, Trudy, I just wanted to thank you for that poem. It was, it is exquisite. And I couldn't help raising my hand because talking about life flowing through and opening to life flowing through, um, ever since my intensive with you, Flint, I mean, while it started during the intensive, I just started, my whole torso just started shaking. And it was as if I were sobbing, but it was very little in the way of tears. It was really a shuddering up mm -hmm. from my heart. And it felt as though my ribs, you know how they pull the ribs apart when they have to work on a heart. It felt like my ribs had been pulled open and my heart was, you know, vulnerable. And every time there was like, the moment there was a true connection, it would just start all over again. And I just shake and shake and shake and, and feel. And I felt as the water were flowing up through me, through my heart that had through a dry riverbed that had never felt water before. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I felt also very, geological like tectonic plates were shifting and there was seismographic activity and um and it all felt really healthy like it, it felt right somehow and at the same time like um <laughs> I, I i just <clears throat> um i'm not quite sure how to be this way um all open and shaking and and welcome to the know. club. <laughs> what I'm, this is what I'm reflecting on. <laughs> Who am I becoming? How have I been shaped? What's been open? And it doesn't stop. It may not always be shaking and leaking, you know. But once you have assented to this path and you realize you're moving along it, and every wisdom tradition talks about it, you know, whether it's a Sufi or a Christian or Jewish, you know, whatever, Islamic, there are these moments where we're, we're taken and we're, we finally begin to step into the flow and it feels like this through our bodies. You're joining all the ancestors. And it's right here, right now, ordinary life. It is really ordinary. Yes, and extraordinary all at the same time because you can't know what that difference is anymore, like I was talking about. It's like the ordinary has become extraordinary just because I'm experiencing it differently. That's right. And it also can be really exhausting because <laughs> every interaction is like real and then fully connected and fully present and then you feel the whole thing and well, i tell you a, a, a little secret the exhaustion part 
is the indication of a little bit of a holding back. Mm. And I feel a lot of holding back at points. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a criticism. It's a the exhaustion is, are the little barriers. Otherwise, it's just free flow. Mm. Is this parts of self, parts of the self-centered, parts of personality still holding? Well, so that's, just, that's just a pointer. That's not a criticism. Yeah. Because we all feel it. It's like, oh, there's a little more to let go of there. And I really feel like I don't know anymore. And it does feel more intimate. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if when I think of the koan, I think of curiosity as most intimate. Good, good, good. That's a great one. When in doubt, turn to curiosity. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I was thinking as Geneva was talking uh, about the embodiment of, um, and I'm not putting you on the spot, you don't have to do anything, Jessica, but I was thinking about the ways in which you were sharing some of the uh the, the the vedic and tantric and yogic things you were just you know studying in that regard of what it's like when these energies release around fullness and 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 in some ways it's orgasmic uh you took riff on on trudy you know so i don't know if you wanted to say anything about that jessica you may not have to i just was thinking about you thank you flint um yeah i was definitely feeling as, as Trudy was speaking, I was feeling all of that move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just I was just acknowledging mainly. Thank you. <laughs> as we come um, to our uh, closing moments, <clears throat> there was, um, since today has uh, lovely elements of poetry, I'll, I'll share one final one as our sort of benediction, <laughs> as it were. And I've not, not ever seen this, this poem. And um, I believe I'll invoke Trudy one more time. She sent this from the train. Apparently you can have, you have Wi-Fi on a train, right? Coming from Glasgow. So you have an image. Um, Rosemary, Rosemary, not Rosemary, Rosemary. <laughs> um, Watola Tromer is the name of the, um, the poet, I've never heard of her name before. And the, 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 the poem is called The Question. And here I started with The Question. And it was written for someone, uh, Jude Jordan Kolosh. Apparently she wrote this for this person. So I'll, I'll just end with, with the poem and this will be our completion today. The Question. All day I replay these words. Is this the path of love? I think of them as I rise, as I wake my children, as I wash dishes, as I drive too close behind the slow blue Subaru. Is this the path of love? I think of these words as I stand in line at the grocery store. Think of them as I sit on the couch with my daughter. Amazing how quickly six words become compass, the new lens through which to see myself in the world. I notice that the question is not, not, is this right? Not, is this wrong? It just longs to know how the action of existence links to the path to love. It just longs to know, longs to know how the action of existence links us to the path to love. And is it this? Is it this? All day I let myself be led by the question. All day I let myself not be too certain of an answer. Not too certain of an answer. Is it this? Is this the path of love? 
I ask as I wait for the next word to come. I thank you for your immense gift, which is your presence. And those gifts of connection and offering that you make when you come forward and ask a question or connect. And uh, the offering that you make by your steady uh, and resolute silence of holding everyone else. It's, it's quite remarkable. If you wish to stay longer, you're not ready to let go and you'd like to speak to friends, please stay for the porch, and Jessica will help you with that now. And I probably Maria's out there. Apamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity, and your support makes such a huge difference. I'm going to place a link uh, in the chat that you can make a um, monetary donation online that you can consider contributing one time or reoccurring, however it works best for you. Uh, please do stay if you can, and I will pass it over to Maria now. Thank you.